0: Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Gaia Muggle land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. Uh, Love, Rinse, Repeat is part of the Uniting Mission and Education family and uh, we're very thankful for their support and excited to promote their Preach Fest, uh, which you can find out much more about in the show notes below and will come up in this conversation. And it is my uh, great privilege to welcome Anna Carter-Florence. Anna, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Liam. I'm so glad to be here. It's exciting. Um, at 8 in the morning for me and what time ten, is it for you? 10 at night.
0: Just a bit after 10 at night. Yep. So not too bad. Respectable times for all. Everyone's, everyone's in a decent yeah. window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, So for those who don't know you, uh, I'll just give a quick little intro. So you are the Peter Marshall Professor of Preaching at Columbia Theological Seminary in the US of A. Uh, Dr. Florence is interested in preaching and public proclamation and preparing leaders who can speak and listen in multiple contexts for ministry. Her research focuses on testimony, pedagogies of preaching, the creative process by which communities engage and embody scripture, and how other fields, particularly poetry and theatre, offer models for prophetic speech. And she is also the book, the, sorry, the author of the book, Rehearsing Scripture, Discovering God's Word in Community, which is out with Erdman's. Uh, so, yeah, that's a bit of the, the, the overview, the, the intro. I guess one of the things, I guess the broad question is, how does someone become so interested in preaching that they not only preach, but I uh, actually think, actually, I want to look into this whole form, art form, form proclamation and help other people unpack that. What, what leads you into that kind of uh, world?
1: What a great question. And no one's asked me that for a while. Um, yeah, well, I, um, I mean, the short version is I was a pastor. I was a minister when I graduated from seminary. My husband and I met in seminary, married there and then. Um, after graduation moved to Minnesota in the u s and both of us were ministers in big downtown churches um, with responsibilities for programming for youth and young adults. but I did preach and regularly and it was it was just the thing that fascinated me not only um, because of how we engage scripture when we when we preach I mean I'm, a Pres- I'm Presbyterian in the U- Presbyterian Church USA. So scripture is really important to us in the preaching process. And um, so all of that was fascinating, but also the role it played in a congregation. You know, this, these were um, the, the churches we were both serving, my husband and I were, um, the pulpit was very important, um, so much so that it was uh, often the cause of friction and also great joy um, and great conflict. And all of those things to me um, were uh, kind of mesmerizing to think about uh, why, this, why this act, why this preaching act is something that we do that's so central to our identity as Christians and what, what it means for us. Um, I also, while I was in the church then, really loved teaching. Um, leading Bible studies with kids and, and adults and all kinds of other things. And um, I thought, okay, I really want to go and work on this. Um, so I applied to one program to work with the person that I um, thought would be a great teacher for me. It was Tom Long. It was He was my teacher at Princeton too, Princeton Seminary. So I went back and did that thinking, I'll just do this out of interest. Um, I don't know if I'll ever teach preaching, but this is a good thing to do. I have young kids now, babies, I'm having babies. Maybe I can do graduate work while I'm doing this. And then at the end of it, um, a position did open at Columbia Seminary in the Atlanta area. And I thought, this is a place that will let me teach the way I really would love to teach Um, with creativity and with um, uh, a lot of precision, Um, about the text and deep reading, um, and with great colleagues. So that's, you know, I won't say I Mm. fell into it, but I did feel, um, very much like I was doing what I was meant to do Mm. where the spirit was leading me to go, but, um, I'm from the Northeast in the U.S. If you had ever told me that I would live in Minnesota and work in a church, that I would live in Atlanta and teach there for now 22 years, 23 years, I would think that was pretty crazy I'm yes. at one point. But here we are. <laughs>
0: so I'm curious, thinking about like yeah, having taught over such a long uh, long stretch now and seeing so many folks come in to your classes who are preparing to, often, I guess, most preparing to be ministers um, in one form or another. Um, have you feel like there's, like, just things that you are, you, you so commonly encounter in, in in as preachers, you know, as people thinking about the art of preaching um, that, yes, that you, that you just see again and again um, and, you know, uh, I guess, here you go here's your chance to say it now so you don't have to say it in future classes essentially (laughs) cover over (laughs) those things that 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 you're so commonly come up that people do but yeah just curious about like that that having seen and, and worked with so many students over such a long time are there things that you kind of have found yourself kind of continually coming back to or continually seeing that have really guided that that kind of time
1: yeah that's another great question um certainly I mean there are things that I repeat every year in the, in the preaching class that's required, um, at the seminary, uh, all, all students taken in their first year, you know, there's sort of basic things and it depends on whether the students are, um, going to be preaching their first sermon for, you know, the very first time or whether they've been preaching a long time, um, and may even be serving congregations. Um, and now we're coming to do some theological education to think about it more deeply. I guess the, um, the one thing that really is kind of unavoidable is that preaching just lays you bare.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, you don't have, you don't have to say a word about yourself for your listeners to know a whole lot about you. <laughs> um, they may not know what you had for breakfast. They may not know, um, you know, how many kids you have, where you live, but they will know the important things. They will know what you are willing to look at and what you're not. They will know how far how far into a text you're willing to go. And when you just kind of put on the brakes and say, nope, I'm not going there, they will know, um, they'll know how brave you are. And so one of the things I have noticed in first sermons is that students are often trying to preach their way into or out of something. Um, And so to kind of gently help them see that, Sometimes it's a sermon that they just sort of have to preach before they can move past it to do with the rest of it. Um, Often a first sermon is kind of autobiographical. Um, But when I sit down with them, I can often say, you know, do you see how when you were working with the text, this is where you got stuck? Do you see? Now, you don't need to tell me what that's about, because that's not what this is about here. But... You know, the seminary does offer free counseling, six free sessions to every student who's there. Why don't you go down and take a, you know, go down and um, set yourself up with someone and work on this because it's coming out in your preaching. And we're seeing that. And so you have a, you have a choice to make if you want to um, explore what that is um, so you can um, make God the subject and not yourself or um, whether you just want to wait on that. So I have that conversation a lot. Um, (laughs) I think there's a lot of deep listening you have to do when you're teaching preaching, because it's not about whether the sermon is good or not. It's, um, of course, those things, every student comes with gifts, and you want to point those out and lift them up and try to um, clear the way for more of them. But you also just want them to, um, I guess I want them to see that this is is very deep. Mm -hmm. Preaching is... Um, an existential process and the relationship you have with God, with the with the scripture, with your people, um, all of that is right out front. So what do we need to do? What do you need to do as a human being to um, make sure those pathways are clear so that you can be the preacher God's created you to be?
0: Thank you for that. I was thinking, because, um, might come more into this later, but in that bio mentions, you know, you're interested in, in, in theatre and how that plays in. Um, and so I, folks who, know, who listen to the podcast will know that I trained as an actor, like a BFA in acting um, some years ago, and, and it was interesting. So the, the style of acting I did was very much about, you know, very method-based, and, and, and this kind of thing was that, you know, if you have a block about anger or um, grief or um, whatever, you know, emotionally in your life, you will not be able to portray that emotion accurately on stage or screen, right? That, that, that You'll have to project something and it will be false. And so what you need to do to be able to do that on stage is deal with that in your life, right? Get get better and get, be able to feel anger or, or grief or whatever it might be. Um, and I think, you know, there's a similarity there in what you're saying, not necessarily to be able to kind of, you know, express it in the same way, but to be able to um, be that authentic self. And I think... I'm curious in the sense of, like, I can imagine sometimes that people push back of like this focus on the self in preaching or in preaching training um, becoming then thus too much about the individual being the subject or the individual being the the, the center. And I think you know, so I wanna, I'm curious to hear a bit about why that's not. A really valid concern, you know why it is so important um, to attend to the self and to be able to open that up because you know in order to be able to actually you know then get about the work um, even better. Um, and so yeah, just just yeah, instead of a bit more yeah c- yeah, continue yeah. to push that line there because I think um, that is something that I think is, is you know I often talk about the performative nature of preaching or that you know there is this and people get you can get nervous about that. Um, you know, especially if they have a particular hang up about like, you know, similar view of acting is this kind of lying kind of thing. You'd be like, Well acting is very much telling the truth um in other people's clothes. Um and and how do you, you know, in a similar way, preaching has to be, you know, performative and and, and authentic and connected to itself in order to be actually then about something else. Um so I'm just curious about that. That's exactly right. There.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well I didn't know that was your background, Liam, and that's my background, too. And so that's what I did in in college as well. And it has had a big impact on Mm. me because I did years and years of workshop um, and rehearsal experience. Right. And so um, what I know from that time is exactly what you're saying. Um, The sermon is not about you, but it comes through you. And and the same in theater, right? That um, the stuff you're not willing to look at in your own life or in the world is going to come out sideways. It just does. And um, if you don't believe it, um, the beauty of workshop is that everybody's right there and they see it too. So it's not just the teacher who's yeah. who's pointing this out or the director or whomever it is. Um, I think... Uh, the great part is that my students and I have a lot of trust, and so um, they know that our pre- the preaching class is not supposed to be therapy, you know, and they know that the sermon is not supposed to be therapy. Um, and, the, and because we spend a lot of time trying to build trust in the, in the, um, in the room, they can hear the feedback from one another and uh, believe it and try to move forward with it. Um, it doesn't mean that um, all of them get to wherever they want to go. I mean, grief is something all of us deal with in life. Um, at a time when you might be going through a great period of loss, to suddenly find yourself having to preach on Job is going to be a very different experience than yeah. if you are doing that at a time when your life is filled with great joy. Yeah. On the other hand, um, and this is also the scripture part for me, I say a lot to my students that I think scripture is a series of scripts. That, are, that God's given to us to rehearse. And what, you, what I have to do, what I hope they will do, what I invite them to do, is to go as deeply into that script until they recognize it. These are, these are scenes. These are characters. These are people we know um, what's happening in this text. It may, we may not have lived in this exact way, but we, we know who these people are. We've, um, we've lived this scene. We recognize it. We see the truth in it, and if we haven't lived it ourselves, we know people who have. Um, so, for example, in Job, you may not have been Job, but we all know what it is to be Job's friends. We all know what it is to try to come and say something and to say completely the wrong thing, um, out of love and out of frustration sometimes. So, um, to. Inf- To invite the students to see it that way helps them to look for the life that they recognize, um, that they're living, that their congregation, their listeners are living, um, so they can hear with empathy and with truth and also with a kind of restraint and forbearance because if the script isn't one you recognize, it's gonna be yours to play someday. We're all going to be handed Job's script Mm, one day. mm. It's not something any of us can avoid. So for me, that is why the relationship with scripture is so deep and so important. I say to the students a lot, when you become a preacher, you take on another life partner, and that's the text. Mm. Um, And if you don't tend to that, um, the same thing happens that would happen in your other relationships. Mm. You know, you can't... um, I think a lot of preaching that I hear feels like carpooling with the text, you know, I'm doing this cause I gotta, I gotta get somewhere. <laughs> I gotta drop the people off. I gotta pick you know, it, instead of, um, a place of, um, deep loyalty and love and commitment and faith. So those are, those are just some of the things that we try to, you know, all of the, a lot of them, a lot of times, I'll be honest, the students are sort of looking at me glassy eyed, like, it really can't be this complicated, <laughs> um, but you know, pastors know it is.
2: Preachers
1: been out in it know it is. This is um, this is an amazing act. It's a complex act. It's a, um, a a deeply personal and also public one. So figuring out who we are um, in that act, so that we can. Um, not preach our experience, but preach through our experience um, yeah. is, is a big deal. Yeah. It's you. why I, you know, to the first, my first book was Preaching as Testimony, and, and that was probably an unfortunate title because I've spent the rest of my, I've spent all these years trying to say, no, I don't mean that preaching is telling your story. What I meant was that, you know, in, in preaching, you, you're giving an account you're putting your life on the line and saying, this is what I believe. This is what I see. And this is what I believe like a witness. And, and there's, you know, you don't have any proof. All you have is the engagement you have with the people and with the text.
2: Mm. And
1: that's the only proof you can offer. And the jury is out.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. I want to stay with one, one final question around this kind of area before me moving into, into talking about rehearsing scripture. Um, because I was thinking also about you know this authenticity, um, and you know a bit, you know not only express emotions and go through your experience and empathize, but also then how, how finding one's own voice in preaching. So like if, if anyone wants to don't, but if anyone wants to go back through like the various sermons of mine over the last five years, seven years, um, particularly as they cross. The, the years of theological education you can really like you know an attentive reader is going to see who I was reading and loving at the time right which which sermons sound like oh man I was that's that's that period where I was just that's who I was reading and, and I'm just trying to you basically imitate them or, or, or at least like you know follow them my own way and you know and, and you kind of find your way to your voice but then even as you kind of get a bit more established in your voice you are still then you could probably tell, like, oh yeah, that was the time I was, yeah. Again, I, I discovered this person, and started reading them, and, and and stuff like that. And so, I'm curious about that. That yeah, that 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 kind of path and how you help guide f- folks in in finding that, you know, the, the style, the language, the um, thing, because you know, there's ways that we do, you know, learn from and emulate well and and it can actually guide us but also there's yeah times where we're just you know that's just who we're just trying to be a smaller version of um yeah yeah so I'm just curious about that as well and 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 how you sometimes help break folks out of (laughs) just being someone they've they've read and think is great and it's because it often often comes not out of like oh cool I want to copy them in some kind of nefarious thing it's just like that when I read it I feel such life and joy. So surely then if I can, yeah. you know, find my way into that, others will too, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And, <laughs> and you're right, we all um, begin with imitation, right? There's, um, there's definitely that. Um, one of the first things we do with the students is ask them to try to think about a sermon that's been meaningful for them and to tell us why that was. And um, invariably, they will pick someone who's been a meaningful person to them. When we ask them what the sermon was about, they can't always remember. What they remember is the relationship they have with this person and the authenticity of that person. I mean, sometimes it's, they can tell you verbatim, but so so finding voice. um, Well, first of all, I think um, to help them to help them know that we're not trying to make them into somebody. You can go to many preaching programs and I'm sure anywhere in the world and some of them will be trying to make you sound. I mean, they'll want everyone to come out sounding like this or using this particular form. I don't have any interest in that. Um, and my colleagues that I've taught with um, Chuck Campbell and Jake Myers, they um, over the years, they're they're the same. We want the students to be exposed to a broad range of voices and so we, um give them a ton of sermons to watch and listen to and that kind of blows their mind because it's like travel right i mean you're suddenly hearing yeah, these people yeah. from traditions and um denominations and styles that have that you've never experienced and and what you can see is that they're all good you know it's not that you're trying to find one that's <laughs> better but they're all mm-hmm. powerful for different reasons mm-hmm. And and then we invite the students to think about why that is. Um, So what we're looking for eventually is to help them think about what feels authentic to who they are. Um, Sometimes this is very tied to identity markers. Um, Women in particular, you know, have a harder time, um, often because a lot of women in the traditions that I um, teach have not heard many women preach. so right away for them, it's it's a question of embodiment of actually seeing it, or maybe they've been told that women are not allowed to do that. Um, so so helping people come to voice, I think, is about um, broad exposure, broad appreciation, um, and reminding them they don't have to sound just like the people um, they love or. You know, they don't have to try to model themselves after um, a preacher that they think is absolutely glorious who may be um, in a completely different context or setting or whatever. Um, I mean, a sort of classic example is students who come in um, and they've been in a congregation where the minister never preaches with a with a manuscript, or just preaches for notes. And so they think that's the only way to be um, or the reverse. And... We have to, I have to say that, you know, it depends on how your brain works. Um, uh, Some people will do beautifully with a manuscript. Um, I've always done that because I know how to work with a script. I'm not dependent on it, right? And other people will be stymied by that. So don't make assumptions in the beginning that are gonna last forever about what's the best way to do this. Take some time, be patient. This is what workshop is for. You know, I don't grade their sermons. I I never grade. I give a ton of feedback, but I never grade because I feel like that in itself is setting up a bad pattern. You know, if they're preaching for an A, they're going to preach what they think I want to hear. <laughs> um, and then they're going to carry that out into their ministry, right? Mm. They're going to be preaching for an A. And that's not that's not what preaching is. You know, um, Kierkegaard says God's the main audience. Mm. Um, so... Uh, (laughs) so, um, some of this is instilling a kind of patience and some of it is reminding them this is going to take a long time and it's hard work. It's not just a gift you have, and then you just sort of go out there and flourish. Um, um, as with anything, there's, there's art to this and there's craft. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. have to, you have to work at that and it will be very contextually dependent If you're going to go out and do youth ministry, you're going to be doing something very different than if you're preaching in a retirement community or if you are um, doing a new church startup um, or if you are um, um, serving a nonprofit and are just basically a guest preacher all the time trying to help people know what it is that you're um, that you're doing. So all of those things, I think students kind of assume that they're going to find their voice um, right away. I think if they can find some paths, that's um, if, I can help them, if I can help them see that there are a couple of paths they can really try and these, these seem truthful, these seem like the ones that they are already starting down, then they can do that with more energy and um, um, I don't want to say success, but with more um, joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I was thinking
0: then you know kind of a bit about you know you're talking about that even people when they're trying to recall like the most impactful sermon are often not able to like you know recall great details um and I I, then I was thinking I'm like what are some like my favorite sermons and I'm like "Mm, she's like I mean like I can like a few come to mind but like how could I recite them but like they obviously impacted me and then and then I guess for a lot of us it's not any one sermon and people might have one that really gripped them at a particular point or helped them clarify something that they have struggled with. But it's the great ocean of sermons along with everything else that, that, that shape us and guide who we are. And so I was, and this might be a way into talking a bit about rehearsing scripture, but I was thinking a bit about that kind of dichotomy of like not focusing, I guess, too much on the, the sermon, the one, you know, obviously doing good work. Um, but that there's something about the mass of it um yeah. that that is what, where where really the, the kind of the impact and the, the 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 shaping of the community happens right not not in, yeah. in in the one i i really nailed my point in this one it, it, but that the long the long road of it
1: um yeah, and the anonymity too right because mm. sometimes we don't ever know yes i mean i I think, I remember hearing a sermon the first year that I was teaching, um, and it was um, given by someone who's, who's now a friend. It was at an academy meeting, and I was really depleted. And what I remember feeling at the end of that sermon is, I can get through the next six months because I've just been, I've just been fed. I've just been reminded of what all of this is. I don't know that I, I don't think I told that person until years later that that was, it. but here he was preaching this sermon, right? Not knowing that he was, you know, kind of saving someone's, not <laughs> their life, their sense of whether they're going to survive in this vocation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are, those are things happening too. Mm.
2: Um,
1: you know, when you put your bread out on the water, you never know what's going to come back. And a lot of it doesn't, but that doesn't mean it's not bread.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so talk to us a bit about rehearsing scripture. So the book's been out a a couple of years now, um, for those who haven't come across it yet, um, just give us the, the broad, this is what the book is. And I guess, how have you found, uh, you know, having now a few years of talking with folks about it, of seeing it engaged with, um, how have you found it, it? You know, has it met the expectations you thought Have you been surprised by what people have been, have gravitated toward, um, you know, I think that's often in the sermon. You're like, yeah. this was the point I really was like, this is my best point. And everyone in the line afterwards is like talking about some small thing you said that you didn't think twice about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the book is, uh, it started with um, the Lyman Beecher lectures that I gave at Yale Divinity School in, in 2012. And what I was trying to think about at that time was How can I? It seemed to me that the key to a lot of um, not just strong and powerful preaching, but sustained preaching, um, you know, uh, people who can survive doing this profession for a long time has to do with our relationship with scripture and, and, and finding ways to fall in love with scripture, for lack of a better word. I mean, I sometimes felt like um pastors coming back, ministers, preachers coming back for continuing education. It was like I was doing marriage therapy, you know, with them in the text. they were so bored with each other. Um, and so how do we how do we keep that um, that life fresh between us? Um, and then there was just the other part, which is that a lot of congregate congregants think scripture is boring, which blows my mind because to me it's it's just it's like the most fun you can have to read. So what I wanted was to find ways to read scripture that would not only get a preacher in very deep so that they could do their work, but would invite lay people to rethink what they think about scripture. Um, a lot of denominations in the U.S. pretty much leave interpretation up to, the, up to the experts, the professionals, like they wait for their minister to tell them what it means. And that just drives me crazy. That just drives me completely crazy because first of all, it's giving way too much power to, mm. to preachers and ministers that can really be abused. And we mm. see that a lot in my contexts, um, but it also um, is sort of giving away um, the priesthood of all believers, if you mm. want to put it that way. Um, it, it's like cutting people off from mm. this enormous well of, um, life and faith. You know, these are, these are our scripts. These, these these are our texts. These, this is, this stuff is real. It's there. Mm -hmm. And it, and Mm -hmm. it, and I say to the students, you know, scripture gives and gives and gives, it never stops, but, but we don't seem to give people access. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I wanted to do, um, it was kind of twofold. Um, I wanted to find ways to help everybody get in deep fast. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, I came at it from one respect. Um, my students were driving me crazy. <laughs> they were, um, they would take a text and because they were so excited about everything they were learning in their biblical studies classes and their history classes, they would be giving me lectures about mm. the text. You know, um, we'd be reading the story of the paralytic, um, the man who gets lowered through the roof by his friends, right, to be in front of Jesus. And they would spend 15 minutes talking about housing in ancient Israel. And that was driving me crazy. Um, the other thing that was happening was lay people, when we were reading scripture together, they were just sort of never seeming to find any intersections. So I began to read with my students verbs first. And that um, in itself was a weird thing. I was working on a sermon one day myself. I was coming up empty the way we do. Um, and sort of idly out of desperation, I started doing the kind of stupid things we do when we're stuck. I started counting parts of speech, like, okay, there are this many nouns, this many verbs, this many adjectives in this passage. Clearly, that's not going to get anywhere. But I discovered something, and it was that, wow, you know, the nouns and the verbs, they're actually about the same. And when I look at the nouns in scripture, that's the trouble. That's where we all get distracted. The nouns are the things we have to look up. The nouns are the things that are from another world. You know, what are shekels? What are cubits? What are Syrophoenicians? What are, you know, all of these things you go to seminary to learn or that you go and wait for your minister to explain. When the students were reading the text nouns first, they were just going off on rabbit trails, Mm -hmm. but reading verbs first, you know, verbs, we all have verbs and the same ones actually. I mean, you and I have the same verbs as Adam, Eve, Ruth, Naomi, um, Samuel, Eli, J- Jesus, because, you know, I say a lot. I think the whole point of incarnation is that Jesus came to share our verbs, actually. <laughs> so when you read the text verbs first, suddenly it's you're not keeping it at a distance. Mm. These are this is some this is stuff, you know. Lay people, when we get a, when we read around a table with lay people and we read the text verbs first, everybody has something to say. You can be a 10 year old. You can be an eight year old. You can be an 80 year old. You don't need a PhD to talk about what you know, Mm. what this verb makes you think about. And it's not that the other stuff doesn't come up, but it gives us a point of entry. And so I began to try this just as a method. And it was amazing kind of what happened. Everybody suddenly was jumping into the deep end of the pool and, Mm. um, and people, and people couldn't stop talking about what they were seeing. And at the end of an hour um, in this conversation, they would have 95 new ways of thinking about what was going on in this story, in the scripture. So I wanted to write about that. It took a long time to think about how to write about it because it's something I teach and I do a lot in workshop and you sort of have to demo in a way, but um, that's what I was trying to do.
0: Oh, thank you Access. for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating. And I think it's that's
1: yeah. great. <laughs> and that's interesting because um, you know, I've gotten a lot of response to the book, mm. but um but I've gotten a lot of response from denominations that are not actually mine, um Baptists. <laughs> um a lot of a lot of um a lot of denominations in the US that might be seen as more um 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 might have more traditional ways of reading scripture, even more, I wouldn't say fundamentalist, but more literalist, but are looking for ways to break out of that. And they have really responded. And that's been great. (laughs) Because um, it's also been a way to come around the table and talk about scripture without fighting about it. You can bring people into the room and when you read this way, verbs first, you can read with real precision and also real freedom and you're talking about what you see before you have to decide what it means, which is where we all begin to fight. Mm. And in the U.S., mm. we're really good at that—fighting <laughs> about religion, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's been another—that's been another big point, um, mm. a big goal for me is how can how can I bring people around the table who might know that you know as soon as I walk in the room, oh my God, there's Liam. He and I don't agree on anything. Well, actually. When you can sit down and read in this way in workshop, you come to love and kind of respect what Liam is saying in the text. Wow, I never expected that and then there's a way that connection can begin
0: mm. Mm. thank you for that. I think that's really yeah particularly in the sense of both as you're saying both this trying to help preachers and help lay folk and I think is is, is such an important thing and um because I think was like the phrase that came, or the thing that came to mind, is, as you were talking, is in our basis of union for our church. Is this? Um, there's a line about all Christians being charged with the serious duty of reading Scripture. Um, so it's not mm-hmm. just like a thing that leveled toward ministers. That's that's to all. But I think what folks often struggle with is that way in, um,
2: yeah.
0: and and you know, particularly because I think what I was kind of talking about at the beginning of kind of COVID was probably the the main way that most folks in, in like a lot of mainline churches encountered scripture was removed, right? Because the main way most people encounter scripture across their week was hearing it read and, and then preached upon uh, or hearing it woven into the prayers of liturgy, right? Um, uh, not that, not saying that's everyone, a lot of people still you know, reading scripture in their homes, but for, for, for many it's there that it happens. And so a lot of the, you know, trying to think of how do you, 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 help folks have their own scaffolding, their own way in for helping to to understand that. And I think not only is that very good for everyone's own walk of discipleship, but how good that is for a community um, and for the preacher yeah. in that community to, to have that wider engagement. Um, and so I'm curious about, you know, how you think it's not only, I guess you've kind of talked about a bit in that coming across the table and helping to overcome difference, but I'm curious of other ways you think that you know a whole community engaging this kind of you know serious duty of reading scripture, this, this engagement with what is going on here, this um, real diving into the script and finding all that's there in terms of experience and connection, um, how that helps shape, um, yeah, shape and form a Christian community.
1: It's a great question. Um, yeah, I think, um, oh, there's so many ways to, to respond to that. Some of the things that I've seen have to do with um, kind of coming to voice some of the same stuff you were talking mm. about. I think um, for many of us, Scripture feels like um, or the Bible. You know, you're not born knowing how to approach this. Right. It's um, it's a different kind of a text. Right. And. Mm. Um, the education a lot of us get in schools, in public schools, doesn't necessarily equip us for how to enter this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm part of communities that tend to defer to a lot of experts. So for me, um, in those communities, helping um, helping to t- tamp that part down and to... Um, uh, broaden and equip and enthuse and, and energize the others to um, discover this resource that a lot of them have never really discovered. Um, mm. They know what it is. They value it. They want their kids to go to Sunday school. It's not that it's not part of their life, but they don't know their way around in it. It's um, It feels um, a little frightening. It feels otherworldly. It feels like maybe it doesn't have anything to do with who we are. So to so to help those kinds of um, to help them feel like it is part of their world that that it is a world they want to enter. That's the first part, um, and then to help people um, really see and believe that it speaks into where we are. You know that uh, there that God is moving and active in this. There is a. Um, God is for the other. God is about liberation. God is about deliverance. And justice is all over this book. So to read and see what kind of an ethical imperative it gives for us as a community, um, reading beyond literalism um, for something broader and contextual um, that speaks to where we are is is also, um, it requires some skill, but it requires also some freedom in breaking out of other things. Um, a lot of churches in the U.S., maybe it's true for you all where you are, um, tend to kind of proof text. You know, um, if there's an ethical or moral question, they they go to the nouns, right? They look up and see where the nouns are that are the problem, and then they read the texts that have to do with those nouns. Um, but Scripture is is such a broader story than that, and so to help people actually experience that, so that they don't have to say, um, "Well, if you if you take away this particular, um, if you tell me that." Um, It's contextualized here, but not over here. Then suddenly the whole thing falls apart. I'm wanting people to do something different and deeper than that. And I think when you get people around a table and doing that to find just the vitality of this, um, they do fall in love. And then they want to enter. And then um, it's like Paul on the road to Damascus, scales start to fall. That's a big, broad response to what you're saying, but I think, um, I just, you know, basically I think if we can, I'll, I'll start with this. If we could get to the point where scripture isn't boring, (laughs) um, that would be good because, you know, a lot of us have made it boring, (laughs) um, for the people. I mean, no wonder they don't want to come. So how can we, Mm -hmm. and then give it into the hands of the people too, so that they want to do it.
0: Mm. So a slightly cheeky question, I guess, is, um, is the lectionary uh, a help or a hindrance toward that goal?
1: Well, I think it depends. I mean, <laughs> I think if it's like anything, right, if it's, um, I'm I'm part of a tradition that um, uses the lectionary and is experimenting with a narrative lectionary and some of mm. the other ones that are out there besides the revised common lectionary. Um, yeah, the lectionary can be great. It's a wonderful way to organize um, the year. Um, it's a wonderful way to Think about the broad story of who um, God in Christ is for mm-hmm. us in the life of Jesus. It also leaves out a ton. And so if you stick with it for too long, you miss, uh, you know, what is it? 9% of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible is in the Revised Common Lectionary. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, to have some room for those um, for those other stories and mm-hmm. other places that are often neglected is pretty important I'm always a guest when I preach because I don't I'm not a pastor I'm not a minister in a congregation The only time I really feel like I'm preaching in my home is when I'm preaching at the seminary or when I'm preaching to preachers because they're kind of my people <laughs> um, but when I do preach as a guest I often go off lectionary because um, I know it's a, it's a thing a guest can do maybe. <laughs> Um, with a little, let you know, people just say, oh, well, you know, she's gone next week. Um, and, uh, try to introduce something new, try to open up something new. There's just, you know, there's just great stuff all yeah. over <laughs> the Bible. So anything we can do to keep opening that up.
2: Cool.
0: So one, one final question, um, is if you, what, what passage what passage from scripture, do you think you could preach on for the most weeks consecutively um, wow. without running out of material wow. or, or, or driving everyone from, from, from the doors?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so great, Liam. Um, I have like a million answers. <laughs> Uh, something I talk about in the book is that every spring I teach a class at the seminary called back to the text where we take one book of scripture and the students and I work with it really over and over all, you know, we read it over and over um, and eventually perform it. We do kind of a lot. And so every spring, I'm sort of falling in love with a different book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this year with COVID there were restrictions about how we could mm-hmm. be together. But at the moment I've been reading the book of Jonah with my students all semester. And the book of Jonah has been an amazing book to read during COVID. Oh my word, you know, our whole life is in that book. And um, Christians don't spend a lot of time there. Jews hear it every year at the high Mm -hmm. holidays. It's the last thing. The book of Jonah is read in its entirety on Yom Kippur. Um, I am living in the book of Jonah right now And I could, um, I think I could preach for about the next year on Jonah um, in a million zillion ways. Um, The other, I mean, and I love the Gospels, but the other go-to for Mm. me is always Exodus and and Genesis. I just, you know, I always go back to those. Mm. Um, But, you know, whatever book we happen to be reading in the spring and we've read, you know, we've done, (laughs) I've taught this class 11 times, so. It's a good way to keep everything fresh for me. The year we did First Timothy, which I sort of did um, as a challenge to myself, I really wanted to know what the heck was going on and uh, why the women were bothering Paul so much or, you know, the authors so much that they were telling, t- you know, it was, I was pretty into Second Timothy, First Timothy that year. Um, I never would have predicted that, so. Mm. That's wonderful. Some of this you. is, yeah, some of this is situational.
0: Yes. No. But it is, yeah, that's, that's that's brilliant. It is, you know, you, I think just to that point of, like, you know, the, the, the benefit that comes from that reading slowly and reading again and again and not trying to kind of cover huge um, swaths over in one sitting or in one year or in one whatever um, that, or, or in one sermon, um, you know, that, yeah. that is very, you know, a, a helpful kind of thought, yes.
1: Yeah, and it teaches interpretation, right? I mean, if we can, what a really great thing it would be if preachers felt like they had the license to preach the same text for a month Mm. in in four different ways, Mm. just to open it you know, to show the range of possibilities. Um, I... Jonah is completely blowing my mind now. And part of it has to do with the fact that we read so many interpreters on Jonah, right? Yeah. Everybody seems to want to write about Jonah. Um, <laughs> it's like Job, those two, Jonah and Job, everybody wants to get in on it. And mm-hmm. um, wow. People have seen that book in really different ways and, yeah. uh, and abused it in some other ways.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Anna Carter-Florence, thank you for oh. joining us today. This has been just a wonderful conversation that, that could have just kept going for hours. Um, but, but I want to leave folks wanting more because particularly if you're uh, in Australia, the uh, uh, UME's Preach Fest is coming up on uh, July 1 to 3. Uh, it's a festival of preaching. If, you know, you might have heard of, like the Festival of Homiletics before and, uh, and as one of the keynote speakers along with Samuel Wells' from the UK. So there's going to be info in the mm-hmm. show notes for anyone who's interested in coming along to that. It's, it's both in person and online. Um, so you can check out the info there, um, and then, uh, get rehearsing scripture, uh, through Erdman's, um, and pick, pick that up for yourself. And, uh, is there anything else you want to promote or draw people's attention to uh, at
1: this uh, time? Um, yeah, I love the cover of that book. Um, I didn't choose it, but take a look it's it's a it's a painting of the annunciation mm. mary and gabriel and gabriel has awesome flowered pants yes i don't know why but it's pretty it's pretty great it's a great cover yes. i was really thrilled that they chose that <laughs> so yeah
0: yeah yeah no let, let that be the convincing convince, convince yeah. and, then, and then everything else after that <laughs> i want great too.
1: i want some pants like gabriel
0: yeah. <laughs> oh great well um folks thanks all for listening all the information's below and uh Anna Carla Forrest, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks on so Marga much, Shipping. Liam.
1: Good to be with you.
0: And you. See
1: you, everyone. Bye.